Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You're listening to MAP Sports Take. Whether it's breaking news or sports business, this is your home for unmuzzled and unconventional sports talk. With assistant general manager, director of player personnel, and three-time world champion on his resume, David Turner has a thing or two to teach you about pro football. At his side is Ryan Roberts, former college football player, football coach, and NFL Draft Bible's director of scouting. Together, they're here to take you on a deep dive into what goes on in the world of sports. Ryan and David, take it away. Welcome to Mavs Sports Take in episode 43. We're coming up on 50 episodes here together with my good friend David Turner. We're your weekly podcast, the sports business, and a whole lot more. Here we tackle the business of all the news that you hear about and some that you do not. Tonight, David and I will be welcoming our guest, Dylan Gonzalez, former UNLV basketball player, pop star, Instagram influencer, and twin. We are super excited to have her on tonight to tell her story of becoming a collegiate basketball player, her playing career, and post-playing pursuit. In our second take, we will take the time to talk about why the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, your Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, will not have the services of a Navy rookie cornerback named Cameron Kidley, who is a good friend of the show, as well as throwing in a little secret sauce, if time permits. David Turner, I know we have a star-studded show, our probably most popular guest as far as social media goes, and obviously a lot of experience that she's had both in the sports arena and outside of the sports arena. But my question is to start, of course, like every show, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great tonight. You know what? Today's been a really productive day, so it's been good. And uh, I'm just excited to have Dylan on and, you know, share her story and share our connection and everything with our viewers. Um, I think it's going to be a really, you know, unique understanding of um, the difference in recruiting between men's sports and women's sports, the difference in um, understanding that a little bit. We'll dive into that to start with her conversation, but then also the impact that NC2A has on athletes right now and how, you know, when they're, they go to school, they're not just an average student. They can't build their post-playing career while they're at school. There's a lot of handcuffs, a lot of yoke around their neck. So, you know, I think it'll be interesting to hear her story and how she's overcome it and moved on. And then we'll talk a little bit about the WNBA, which where she had a brief, you know, tryout and uh, opportunity. And then what she's up to now, which is a lot of big and big things. So I'm really excited to get her on and talk to her about everything that she's got going. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the conversations. I feel like we talk a lot about athletes in their playing career, in their playing arena, but we don't talk about the success stories outside of it. So we're going to focus a little more on that. And of course, Cameron Kinley, who is a good friend of the show, has been with us twice, David, and a crazy story that came out yesterday that I sent you late last night, or it might have been in the morning when I was feeding the baby or, or something. I just, it came across. Um, someone actually sent it to me and I was like, that is crazy. I didn't even see anything about it. So a lot to get to tonight. And of course, scouting secret sauce with David Turner, of course, 18 year scouting vet across the X, um, XFL, <laughs> CFL, NFL, and three straight arena league championships with the Arizona Rattlers, both in a scouting and front office realms. 
So we're going to give that a little bit to you before we do, before we get into what we are here to do tonight here at MaverickSportsConsulting.com. We would like to say to you, if you're a college looking to improve your recruiting department to maximize the transfer portal, high school recruiting, and junior college transfers to turn your program around quickly, David has 19 years of personnel experience, 10 years NFL experience managing college scouting departments, as well as pro personnel departments. Mavericks is primed and ready to work with our existing, your existing staff and coaches to build you a recruiting department that will mirror your efforts in the coaching department. Let David and Maverick Sports Consulting assist you building a championship team in 2021. Please visit MaverickSportsConsulting.com today. So, David, before we get Dylan on, <clears throat> I know we're really excited about this. I feel like we should go into a couple of the other stories that we wanted to touch on today. I know we kind of want to lead off with that, but I think that this is a really – actually, no, we're going we're gonna to save it. We're going to save it. We're going to save Mr. Kyrie Kinley because that's a very in-depth story. So let's go to the secret sauce here. Of course, you are – and I should start by saying we thank – To start by saying we thank everybody that is out there, both in the Twitterverse, in the YouTubeverse, Facebook, wherever you're listening to us, we appreciate you for tuning in, obviously. Thank you. And if you want to throw in a question at any point today, we are live here. Throw it in. It could be a scouting perspective, sports perspective, business perspective, whatever. We are here to answer for you. So, David, I want to talk about, I want to hone in on your scouting experience for a sec. Okay. So, I put down here. We're going to do some secret sauce, baby. So secret sauce of scouting. Secret sauce. Okay. All right. We're going to go to the defensive line. We're going to talk some interior defensive linemen. I'm going to group it up very broad here, right? Because I know that we could be dealing with zero, one, three tech, four I, two I, four, five. We can move all the way out there, depending on if we're in an even or an odd man front. But to keep it as broad as possible, when I'm talking interior defensive linemen, what are some key things that you're looking for on film that for you are paramount for a player being successful or not being able to make it in the, at the next level? You know, you limit me so much because, you know, I, I got to talk individually about those. I mean, when you're talking you about a zero, do you want to do it? Let's well, I'm just saying like a zero technique, you need, you need to pad level and anchor. You know, they got to be, they got to really keep the, the middle interior offensive lineman off the linebackers in a 34 you know, if you're talking about a three technique, it's quickness. How do they rush the edges of the of the different um, guards so they can, you know, to, to beat them, to feed them and get upfield and penetrate and change the line of scrimmage. If you're talking about, you know, more of a, a four, four eye type guy, he's got to be strong. He's got to, you know, really change the line of scrimmage with his penetration power so he can, you know, use his upper body to shock, extend, and get the blockers off his body, but use his lower body power and pad level to drive him into the backfield, disrupting running game, run lanes, and also the, you know, the quarterback's pocket, messing up the feet, you know. Um, those, those are things that I always look at. What's consistent for me is strength inside, handling double teams, stacking the line of scrimmage, creating a traffic jam, as one of my mentors used to call it, you know, inside there. Um, if they're getting the double team, can they drop to the knee and really stack it and stay in there and and, and dominate with their uh, strength? Or if you know, if again, if it's a single block, are they able to um, shock and shed, dis disengage from the block, and then penetrate and uh, and make a play in the backfield? Tackles for loss is a stat that I always look for 
when I'm watching defensive linemen because I want to see how much not only is a tackle for loss important, but how many ta- how many rush lanes and run lanes have they influenced with their penetration power or quickness to make a, a running back make a decision in the backfield or move a quarterback off his spot. A lot of times the sack comes from the outside rusher, but the quarterback was moved off his spot from the interior pressure. So if you're an interior guy, even though you don't get the chalk mark that you got the sack, you really influence the sack. And us scouts, we watch that, and we see how many sacks were influenced by your penetration, quickness, or power from the inside, changing the line of scrimmage interiorly. So, you know, that that's something that I, I definitely – I would definitely uh, look for when I'm scouting somebody and how you get that is with your pad level, obviously your hand use, your uh, quickness and your upper body shock and shed, or even just uh, press and extend. If you allow some a blocker to get onto your body, you got to be able to let, you know, press and extend them off your body and then, and then disengage from them, work off contact. So, you know, those are all things that from each different position, you you know you'll you'll find different traits that stand out more. I asked a very broad question, so I expected a very in-depth answer on multiple alignments. I respected David Turner. Let's go from this area because you you hit. I mean, you talked about the ability to press and extend, get off of blocks, have good hands, be able to bend the outside. Not as much an outside track rusher, obviously, but if we're talking about a three tech, be able to bend that outside shoulder and get into that rush lane. You talked about a lot of key things. I know I really want to hone in on your experiences. So you have, you had the ability with your time with the Panthers and the Raiders and the Giants and all the 49ers, Dolphins around the league to be around some of the absolute best defensive linemen that we have seen over the last generation. So let's go one by one on these techniques a little bit. Best three technique that you have personally been around during your career. I know it's an easy one. Yeah, it's Warren Sapp. I mean, <laughs> never heard of him. Never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, never heard of that guy, right? But Warren was the best three technique. I mean, he was ridiculous. His quickness, his his energy, his uh, his lower body power and girth to get upfield. It was just he was amazing to watch, even in practice. Like he wasn't the best practice player. I'm not going to sit here and tell people things they don't know. But he took pride in his practicing, and you know, especially if he made a mistake in a game, like the next week in practice he would go back and work whatever technique he needed to to jump back on, like, get back right. So, I mean, he was a guy that took a lot of pride on Sundays that he was going to be a difference maker. And uh, it showed in, 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 you know, he lifted a lot of weight and did a lot of things right. I mean, but his quickness, his hand quickness, his hand fighting and ability to disengage from blockers and penetrate, I mean, it was – he moved – here's a skill that not everybody has. Everybody will think they have, but they don't. He moved his hands and feet together in unison in ways in which is very rare because yeah. sometimes you step, but your body gets out of alignment. Your your natural bar, body mechanics get out of alignment just a little bit. So now you can't slap and rip because you're a little bit far outside. That never bothered him. If he took a, you know, if it was a six inch step and he took an eight, it didn't bother him. He could still over, he can compensate with it with his natural, nat, natural bend and ability through his hips. And his hands and feet would move together. It was just awesome. It was awesome to watch him work. Well, I, I think that's a common thing, even when we're talking about multiple positions. I mean, I write this in quarterback reports all the time. I see so many guys where their upper and lower body are fighting against each other, right? Like they're not aligned. They're not in unison. Like at, from 
Linebackers come with the balance and striking, filling a gap from a defensive lineman engaging, getting off a block, trying to bend the outside track from a cornerback get in and out of breaks from a wide receiver, keeping his, you know, his, his chest over his toes and getting clean out of breaks with little wasted movement from running backs, being able to cut on a dime and, and hit a cutback lane on inside zone, whatever it is, it's so important and vital. And I love that kind of, that kind of ex- explanation, David, because I feel like some guys, they just get easily disconnected and their body works against one another. So well, I, and a lot I of times it. you'll see kids, young kids work their hand technique, you know, just standing in place and working their hand technique and yeah. they're not working it with their foot movement too. And so then when they come off the ball, their feet will move, they'll penetrate, but then they almost get stuck in sand when they're trying to use their hands. You, you see it all the time when they're trying to defeat press coverage, right? Like they're hand fighting, but then their lower body stops. It's like you just put yourself in place. Like you can't gain any momentum. Like you need to attack vertically, then use the hands so that you're working both avenues there. So I agree completely. And I know that we have a lot more to dig into the defensive line, but we don't want to keep our guests waiting. So we are going to bring on Miss Dylan Gonzalez now, former UNLV women's basketball player, turned pop star, turned Instagram influencer, and twin, just throw it in there. Dylan, appreciate you coming on tonight. How are you? <laughs> I'm amazing, you guys. I was seriously, like, loving the conversation even before entering, so I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, it's good to see you. It's a long time no see, huh? Like, for real, <laughs> and it was too long. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan and I had a pre-show conversation, so I was just messing with her there a little nice. bit. Well, Dylan, I'm fascinated to get, you know, not only the – playing experience that you had, but also, I mean, we talk, I was say, saying in our intro, like we talk so much about the players on the field, just in their playing realm. And we don't talk about like, like life after that, right? Cause there's a lot of people that do amazing things and you're one of them, obviously. But I want to start you out in the sports arena. We have a lot of young athletes, of course, that, you know, listen in and talk and love to hear how people got to where they were. And obviously you as a division one women's basketball player, if you could just give a, give us a little insight into when you were getting recruited coming out of high school, what were some of the important aspects to you that you were looking for when you were trying to make that college decision? Man. So first and foremost, like I was the kid that had to know every detail about my situation to feel comfortable. So my like big thing coming into a school was looking at the competitive level of the conference play. I wanted to play against who I believed were the highest level of, of competitors. And when I got to look at every single school, aside from the competitiveness on the court, I would say the number one thing was academics for me. And it was making sure that I was not just competing on in the four lines, but also in the classroom as well. Because in my household, just education was something that was instilled very deeply in, as a value. And so I was, you know, just competitive overall. So I was even like, if you're going to get an A, I'm getting an A plus. And it's like, if you got an A plus, I had to get an A plus plus. And that's just how it was going down all the time. So definitely competitiveness, academics, um, and then, and then coaches and, and the orientation and the chemistry that I had with my coaches. Cause being a family oriented person, um, I needed to be in an environment and I knew this about myself. I needed to be in an environment that reflected that. 
that reflected having family oriented values. And a lot of schools don't have that. They'll kind of roll out the red carpet. They might give you that smoke and mirrors, make you think so, but it's a lot more business protocol and propaganda than it is family orientation. Mm-hmm. Now, did that come from Pocatello, Idaho? <laughs> I came from heaven. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know. <laughs> that, yes. there was, it was literally the middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? So I, I had to re I got, I had time to sit and figure out what I didn't like and what I did like, and then just time to grind, man. That was it. What did you notice coming out of high school that, maybe was indifferent or different, I should say, between you getting recruited and maybe some of the, the males in your school getting recruited. Um, what were, you know, how, how different was just, re- we talk a lot about honestly on our show, like the difference in sports and stuff, but this is a subject we've never hit before and we've never had an athlete like you want. So I really want our listeners to hear this, how the difference in recruiting from a female athlete will goes versus a male athlete coming out of high school. Oh, Two completely different sides of the same coin. That's what it is. On one side of the coin, you have uh, guys with pretty straightforward agendas in the male game, right? The only people who kind of know about the agenda are the ones that are involved. But when it comes down to it, it's a straightforward conversation of what we're going to provide for you and what you're going to provide for us, right? And that's how people, you know, get get lured into different places. And and to be honest with you, I'm not even somebody who's like judging how business gets handled, because a lot of the times a lot of these coaches are genuinely trying to look out for the student before, you know, the, the athlete part of it. And they want them to, you know, bring them in with the glitz and glamour. But there are those few rare coaches that are genuinely trying to help provide um, longevity for people. Right. Then on the women's side, on the other side of it, you get more smoke and mirrors, a lot more smoke and mirrors because of the fact that they have to present it very similarly to how the guys do. But they are not there is no money being put into it the same like for the men. So therefore, they're not going to have that same budget that the guys have to be able to like lure women in with that kind of material or potential or whatever it is trying to get you to the next level. Cause then there's that the men have the next level and a very established, very prolific, very lucrative professional Avenue. Women do not have that. We are still like 50 plus years behind. That's very really generous still in this <laughs> In the times uh, comparatively between the opportunity for men professionally and the opportunity for women professionally. So a lot of times what will happen with the young women is that you get caught up in the hype. You get caught up in the hype. The men, the men do too. But again, the difference is there's a lot less straightforwardness, a lot less opportunity, and there is a lot less protection for the women. Women are a lot more expendable 
um, because of the fact that they are not going to bring you a million dollar ticket, right? Like, so we think we have this understanding and stigma around it. So they're not going to be protected from the system because they're not these money bags that are also in the best interest of the people running the system, right? So therefore, when it comes to women, you're actually putting yourself in a position to be, to be resourced, but not necessarily get any return on your investment. And that's the problem. It's, it's like when you're getting recruited, everything seems like so great. And unless you're going into it with a very clear plan and a clear agenda and you study the school and you look at the people and the players they've developed and what they've done after their career, that's very important I believe for any player to do male or female is to study the products of the school that you want to come out of. Because if you don't, then you're going to go into it with a lot, uh, with, with a lack of knowledge necessary to succeed at the next level and then at the next level and the next level and so on and so forth. So that's where it gets tricky with the understanding of, how women get recruited versus how guys get recruited because there's so many different factors, but it's both essentially within the same avenue of these people coming in, wanting to bring you to the school for what they claim is, you know, your betterment and your development when really it's all agenda based and they're really your constituents, not your confidants. I I, kind of have a follow-up question on that. Do you feel like looking back on it now, because I know that obviously you have probably learned a lot through your experience talking about, you know, the, you know, the the recruiting process and trying to pick schools. When you kind of look back on it in retrospect, if you could just tell yourself something, maybe going through the process, is there something that in particular that you would do differently? Oh man. Yeah, I would have, I, I would have, honestly humbled myself, Hmm. I would have humbled myself because coming into it, I was the player that's, you know, number one, number two, back and forth with my sister (laughs) in the state. Uh, And, you know, McDonald's top 100 taught this, you know, I'm getting recruited by every single school. I'm getting offered everywhere. I literally had the pick of the litter. Everyone's coming knocking at my door. And I had all the odds against me being in a small town and I didn't even have a team in my area. I had to travel two hours to Salt Lake City to play competitive and to go play AAU and and to get seen like that's how seriously I took it I'd get up at 6 a.m drive two hours go I was on multiple AAU teams that's why a lot of coaches couldn't even really keep up with me I probably actually would have had a higher rating and a higher ranking if people actually knew where the hell to follow me because I was having to constantly change teams just because of different factors disassembling them or whatever you know it was very hard so considering that I had all these factors against me and I knew that And I'm get you know, literally getting again, this red carpet rolled out for me. You know, I can, I can basically break any rule that, you know, isn't too, you know, controversial um, and do, you know, really whatever I wanted. And when it came to my little town, man, I could get away with murder. Seriously, man. Like I could talk to people however I wanted. I would have an attitude just because, you know, I would get disrespected a lot. So it kind of built this very 
mean energy, like ready to pounce, ready to fight and never in a physical altercation. I was competitive. So I would just be like, all right, well, 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 how are we going to decide this? What kind of game do you want to play? I'll come to your little world because I'm going to win in it anyways. Like that's kind of the like the mean bully mentality that I had and just winning. And oh, man, when I when I when I even get to reflect now on that time, I'm like, yeah, damn, like it's a movie. Right. But again, I needed to humble myself, at least mentally, like, okay, it's one thing to like be expressing this version of myself and what I, you know, found to be progressive and healthy, but you know, people disagreed. And then I would just say, okay, go talk to your therapist about it. But you know, (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't say that out loud all the time. Cause like, I'm just, that's just me. I don't always take life too seriously in that way. And I had to start learning my sensitive audiences, but essentially I wasn't in the mental space of understanding, like there were levels to the shit, like, you know, like there were levels to it. So when I was coming in, I felt like everything I had done to earn me this seat at the table, I felt entitled to certain things coming into the school. Like I was like, I'm going to be the star. Hello. I'm going to start. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And when, and when things don't go your way, you start resenting the process, resenting the system. You're now underdeveloped. You're mentally checked out. And anybody who wants to succeed at the next level and really make a name for yourself, the mental is so much more crucial than the physical part of the game. It is mind over matter all day, every day, in the four lines, out of the four lines, sleep, up, whatever. Mind over mind over matter. The will has got to be more powerful than the skill. That's what Muhammad Ali said. And, it's, and when you don't have a certain, when you are not mentally prepared for the reality of what you're walking into, then it will, it can completely, you know, excuse my French, but fuck up your, like your trajectory of your career and your development from that point forward. And then the next thing you know, all you were is, was potential. No. And I, you know, two parts I'm taking from this and I'm going to ask you two parts, but if you need to remind you the second one, let me remind you. Okay. First one, you use the word protection. You use the word protection about females aren't as protected as the males are during the process. I would love to hear what that means and defined. And then second, how important was it? You mentioned your sister being the first or second, depending on the week, best player in the household and the state. But it was like, how important was it for you guys to either attend or not attend the same school during the recruiting process? Because you guys are twins and, you know, there's, there, I'm sure there's natural competitiveness there. So was it important for you guys to attend the same school or not attend the same school during the recruiting process? So for the first one for protection, um, yeah, like women are more expendable in this game because you can get away with treating them any kind of way. And they're ignorant to how this game works. Unfortunately, Like when you are, especially when you're like brand new to this or you're a parent whose kid just so happens to be like really freaking talented, but you know, you don't know shit about sports or you have kids. And this is, this is honestly what makes up a majority of it. 
who come from low-income households, who come from rougher backgrounds, who uh, go to sports as a way to, you know, escape their environment and to keep them out of trouble. And um, you end up, they end up in this system, like very similarly to like prison. And you kind of just keep following this ladder of, of, of what people have set out before you and you just kind of follow it. And unfortunately, when it comes to women, because of the fact that money is the number one thing that just humanity <laughs> has come to value the most, very unfortunately, uh, if you do not bring in money or you are not or you do not have potential to do it in a way that is not just going to uh, fill your pockets uh, and your future children's children's and so on and so forth. But everybody involved that's providing you this opportunity in a way that, um, you know, is going to blow somebody's mind as a part of this bigger picture and bigger scheme that the people have for, you know, putting this whole business part of it together. Um, if you do not come in at a high value, you are expendable. Mm. And so what will happen is a lot of these girls who come from like, again, backgrounds where maybe their parents didn't even get to have passed a high school education. And then this is important. This is why in my 501c3, I'm like, no, education's important. We got to stop telling kids, oh, you don't have to go to college and this and that. You might not have had to do that. But don't set up that blueprint for the rest of generations that need the development who now who now are relying on instant gratification and popcorn culture to um, provide them this like long a lifestyle of longevity and wealth when wealth and riches are not the same thing. So. Now we have people who are not educated financially, who are not educated in how the schooling systems work, who are not educated in the sports systems work, and who also fear authority because they have been taught to fear authority. And fear is control. And if you can control the people in the puzzles that you're trying to create, then you can move forward with your agenda. And that's essentially what all of these people want to do. That's why they make you sign these contracts that are, as a kid, that are, you know, 100 pages long with this little itty bitty fine print that like nobody's going to sit there and, and read. Right. So you're not understanding all of the all your rights. You are literally giving up human rights when you sign an NCAA contract. We are living in a primitive time still. I mean, even just with economics in general. And this is no different. And in fact, it's one of the things that's kind of worse because they don't have some kind of governing body of authority to hold them accountable to any of their violations or their bullshit. So they can get a away with murder. And a lot of the young men experience this too, but because of the fact that young men have much more opportunity in the professional world outside of college, people gravitate towards that and they are willing to break laws, not just rules, laws willing to break laws to protect it, to protect that. With women, you don't have that. So that's what that one is. When it comes to how important it was for my sister and I to stay together, it was like crucial. And everybody would always be like, oh man, like uh, maybe you should consider going other places. And we kind of did because she got an offer to Notre Dame. I got an offer to UW. We both were in love. Like our first, our dream school was to go to Stanford. But then I just started like, you know, 
not wanting to have to do the work that I was going to have to do to not only get into Stanford, but then, you know, be the best there. So I was like, big 12. Hey, (laughs) 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 so that's kind of, you know, how that ended up. But uh, ultimately we did really try to give ourselves the opportunity to even just see foresee what that could look like for ourselves and our development. And for the both of us, we just felt like, no, like we're not going to enjoy it. And if we do go play professional, the chances are even less likely that we'll get to play together. So these could be like our freaking glory years. This could be all we have left playing together and getting to be on the same team and to support each other through that. And really with the amount of jealousy that my sister and I received just because we're beautiful and I can't help that. Okay. Kind of. But I like I choose like to wake up like this, you know, and I care about my tanning and things that are superficial, but make me happy. Yeah, uh, totally. Oh, <laughs> yes. self accountability. It's rare these days, too. But <laughs> essentially, when it came to that, I we've always just been who the hell we are. And everybody else had a problem with it because of the fact that we did not fit the expectation that they had for us and then that they had for athletes. Right. And then that they had for women and then black women and so on and so forth. So many layers to the onion. So we wanted to be able to protect each other and to stick up for each other. We were really each other's only friends. (laughs) Like we did not have the kind of college experience that like most people probably think we were really to ourselves. We were very closed off. We're still friends to this day with the people that, you know, we were closest with in college and, and still, you know, do, I was just with uh, Brooke this morning, uh, doing the UNLV camp, you know, that I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be at. I was like, we're going to surprise everybody. And I'm just going to like show up. Everyone's hype man. So, you know, like just things like that, we wanted to be able to to be a part of. And again, that family really meant something like to us. And we are each other's family. So obviously, when it came to the process of recruitment, we started to kind of let that be more known that we were coming like as a package. And thankfully, because of the fact that not only we were both so talented, but we were both very versatile players. And we're tall and we're big and we're strong, you know, and in the women's game, you don't see a lot of guards in this frame or at this heavyweight division. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but you are far from heavyweight division. Hey, you listen, are far from heavyweight division. I was pushing 200. I was about, I was almost 200 in college. And it's crazy to think when I even think back at that time. I'm like, damn, I can't believe I was moving like 200 pounds, but I carry my weight very well. (laughs) So for the women. I am not, I'm going to have to see some old school tape on that one. I got to see some old school tape on that one. (laughs) It was between 180 and 200 is where I like averaged or yeah, like 177 to 200 is about where I am. And how tall are you? I'm five, I'm six foot on my roster. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) No, I was five, six on my roster, but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I was six, I was six two, but a very generous five eleven and a half to a six. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I believe I'm legitimately like in between five ten and five eleven. Like you know, not exactly on the mark, but in between there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like I, I play, I play like I'm about like I got five inch heels on. So <laughs> therefore, I'm, I play like I'm at least six five. So I I feel like six feet is a generous average. Average. I like it. I like it. 
Yeah. I love it too. And Dylan, I know we want to definitely get into the post-playing career, but I kind of want to ask our last basketball question of you. I want to talk, ask you whether it is at Kansas or UNLV or back in high school, whenever, is there a moment for you that sticks out as one that you will forever cherish? Oh man. Um, I think, okay, Dane, this is tough. So there's two. Mm-hmm. One was definitely making history at UNLV and being the first like team in, I believe ever, but uh, to go to the postseason, um, and then and like just that like that moment in time, just like it seemed, it didn't even seem as as big as it was at the time because we still hadn't achieved, you know, all the things that we had set out to achieve for ourselves. But when I really look at that and when I really just look at the culture that we had created as a team, even with all of our own little personal dramas and controversies and, and bullshit, but the way that we were able to, to like pull together and do that, um, like kind of, again, with the odds kind of stacked against us, uh, is something that I'll cherish forever for sure. And then I would say another moment. And, and this one was during the NBA all-star, uh, it was in the early 2000s. I was actually a professional dancer <laughs> uh, for this squad called the Lil Bustas. And I was a professional halftime dancer for the Denver Nuggets. And I would get out there and do hip hop and break dance and all this stuff. And during All Star, Sierra was performing for the celebrity game at halftime. And Sierra was the reason I started dancing. So I was like, oh, my God. So I got to have a moment with Sierra. And actually, Destiny's Child like came back together for a little moment as well. And I got to literally dance with my idols, like my top five, like, all again, all from basketball and entertainment, just kind of intertwining and intermingling. And I will never, ever, 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 ever forget that. Oh, wait. And then there's one more. So final three. <laughs> Sorry. I would say... All of the moments like playing in the backyard and um, like going at it, like with my brothers and like my high school sweetheart at the time and like just like staying up like ridiculous hours, just playing and, and just falling in love with the game in that way. You know what I mean? And then again, it that love and that that manifestation of all of that now leading us here, you know? Absolutely. No, it's that's awesome. Those are a great three, you know. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I'll be honest, because when I came up and I first got my job at the Dolphins, I was like, I didn't know like kind of my access, what it would really would be to players and everything. And then after 18, 19 years in now, like I can pick up the phone and call guys like your dad and players that I've known forever. And you know, to those of you who don't know, Dylan's biological father is is Albert Lewis. And former, you know, Kansas City Chief and Oakland Raider corner. So, you know, and him and I have a, a, a relationship, which we didn't realize until Dylan and I got on a call about two weeks ago. And she she shared that information because I did not know that was her dad. And I was like, oh, my God, I know your dad. Like him and I used to like drink beers, like seriously hang out. So it, it, you know, I talked to him about it. 
<laughs> it's true, yeah. And it was like I knew he was down at the host farm down in Louisiana, hanging out and you know doing his thing. Like that's, I mean, he it's where like, he was. Like, like you were with my. That's so great. Like you were, you were there with him in the land before time. <laughs> land before time. <laughs> That's how old I am. I was there when he was still playing. Uh, oh, so, dinosaurs were roaming around, and yeah, for the man before my time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So my goodness. But that being said, um, you hit on this a little bit, and I would like—I've heard this from you before, so I'd like you to dive into it a little bit more. You know, while you're at school, um, you were also at, at UNLV. You were also trying to become a—you know—work on your post-playing career whether that was going to be a pop star or whatever you acting. I know you had like a script, go to like a studio to do your story and stuff. Um, what, what is it that um, talk to the athletes? I just want you to talk to the athletes, the kids, because it's coming in soon. They're going to be able to make money off their likeness and stuff, but you didn't get to do that. You didn't get the opportunity to do that. Tell them, give them a history lesson right now of where it's come from. And and what they should and give a little advice of what they should do, because I think a lot of them are going to mismanage this opportunity when it does come their way. Oh yeah, and it's funny because I actually do like little mentorship programs and stuff. I literally have my my <laughs> notes right here in front of me. Oh yeah, I got some things for you, children. So first of all, it, the the thing is is like it's not what kids think it was it wasn't all glamorous and all that stuff like a lot of the times when you were just trying to have fun or just post up things or whatever like you were constantly being monitored so your brand your likeness your image whatever it is that you do or post you have to understand that if you want to be at that next caliber and at that next level of exclusivity and competitiveness and opportunity, then they're going to have a say so in how you present yourself to the world. And if you're not willing to work with them on that or you're not already, you know, coming in with a brand established for yourself, then you are literally going to put yourself in a like well, basically not first place. I was going to say second or third, but like, you know, second's the first to last. And what comes after that? Exactly. No one remembers third. So therefore it's not first place. That's the position you're going to put yourself in, not being willing to work with the school, which is again, brings us back to why it's so important to know where you're going, to have a real relationship with your coach and to know also your Compliance officer, have a good relationship with your compliance officer because that, that person monitors uh, monitors you. Literally, it's like your own little personal warden. They're the ones who make sure you don't break the rules, who enforce them, who have to you know help you configure your letters to the NCAA and tell them you're sorry for trying to pursue your dreams. Thank you, Eric Tolliver, compliance <laughs> 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 officer. Hmm. I- I don't know if we've ever had a compliance officer shouted out in, on the program. That's a first right there. He was the best. And to be honest with you, I think they did my man's dirty because of the fact that he was so real and he was really trying to help the student athlete because he ended up getting let go. But it was a very mysterious unfolding, if you know what I mean. So, well, of course, I can't find the page I'm looking for. Whatever. So. I would say one of the things that kids need to be really mindful of to the history of it is that this is like one of those ongoing battles 
this isn't something that um, is super clear and refined on. There's so many loopholes. There's so many general and broad, ter- broad terms. So what I would say is my suggestion is to get your top five, you know, people, not just athletes. And that's where we have to stop with the tunnel vision and, and tunneling people and, and convincing them that they have to be one thing, right? And that's where I have so much respect for LeBron and un, uninterrupted for their whole movement with more than an athlete. Mm-hmm. And um, you should get your top five people that you aspire to be like. And there should be multiple reasons for each of these individuals uh, as to why they're even in your top five. You should look up to, to people who, you know, share the same maybe spiritual beliefs and values. Maybe they're public speakers. Maybe they're bishops. Maybe they're, you know, gurus or Buddhists or something like, you know, people who share a similar value system to you in that way people who are if you want to have financial freedom financially successful and then whatever other passions and avenues that you're interested in find people if you have if you don't have them already find people that you're drawn to that you like when you when you study them and really become a student if you want to be a boss like you know the dill venture capitalist and walking fortune 500 company Thank you. Yes. Anyway, if you you, you, nice little plug. I like it. (laughs) If you want to be a boss, the first rule is, is not, you know, what most people think it is these days. The first, thanks to, you know, urban music. The first rule (laughs) is to be a student first, always be a student first, genuinely listen, genuinely take notes and then genuinely apply the lesson Hold yourselves accountable to your betterment. Nobody is going to do the work for you. Everybody around you is a resource to you. Your coach, your compliance officer, your trainer, your nutritionist. They are going to give you all of the information that they are qualified and knowledgeable in to give you. And then it is up to you to take all of that. And it's a lot. There's a lot of information. And when you're a kid, you just kind of get stuck in your ways and you hear it all. Sometimes you write it down. <laughs> Sometimes if you try it for a week, but ultimately none of it ever sticks because there's not an authority that goes home with you to hold you accountable. Cause you're now kind of living that middle gray area, adult, young adult life where you're starting to experience independence for the first time. So hold yourselves accountable to finding your top five to, to this way. You can also start to get to know yourself and what you want. A lot of athletes and especially women don't, and the NCAA says this all the time in their little, we protect the student athlete. 99.99, just kidding, but somewhere up there, percent of, of athletes go pro in something other than sports. Like it's like their freaking slogan, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a real thing, but kids don't take that seriously because unfortunately they, they acquire these very unrealistic um, expectations and then just standards for themselves that have them believing that they're the one in a million. And it's like, kid, listen, automatically coming into it like that with that attitude just puts you in the rest in the rest group with that category because you should be one of one not one of a million so therefore 
We need to readjust our mindsets and our mind frames, and we need to get back to the value of educating yourselves and utilizing these resources and not taking them for granted. Don't be so worried about money and the things that you see on Instagram, like social popularity online is at like an all time high. And obviously the effects of COVID and everybody not really having anywhere else to escape to, but that world uh, has, has had a huge, huge, huge impact and influence on the results of that. Uh, but now that things are kind of starting to shift gears and, and there's a shift in the trajectory of, of the universe and the fates, at least that's what I hear. Um, now it's time for kids to start making that adjustment. Get a little, get comfortable being uncomfortable because growing is done outside of the comfort zone. So you have to really challenge yourself. Again, find those idols, find people you look up to, follow them, study them, like seek that kind of guidance. When I went into all these rooms and I had all these opportunities to be in front of millionaires and billionaires and I'm pitching my movie to Joel, Joel Silver when, when back in college I was just reading my little anime series that I was writing in my notebooks to my friend, to my teammates, because again, that was just a way for me to escape a lot of the bullshit that goes on as a business side of basketball. And when money gets involved, it's like they say, kids, more money, more problems. <laughs> and, <laughs> and now that you've got kids being put in a position to not only have independence, not only have an unlimited source of knowledge and access to information. Thanks, Google. <laughs> um, and now they're going to have all the money to themselves, too? Oh, my God. We need to do a workshop immediately. We need to do a workshop. We need to, first and foremost, start teaching financial literacy. And I'm actually, I have a really cool thing coming up with this company called the Players Society. And I'll be doing an interview with them next week, actually. I can't remember the specific day because there's a lot of things lined up. But, you know, follow me. You'll keep up. Uh, and I, and it's the player society. And what we're going to be diving into is exactly that is financial literacy and what that means and how to be able to provide for yourself and to expand, not just as, um, a player or a student, but to expand yourself as a, as a business, as your own independent business. Well, Dylan, you have obviously a lot of incredible things going on. So I kind of want to end this real quick as you have given us so much of your time. We really appreciate it so much. So going to give you some time here, plug whatever th some things you have coming up, where we follow you on social medias, all that good stuff. Oh man, guys, I'm super excited. So first and foremost, my official solo single debut is coming up here on 620, which is also Father's Day. So I'm going to be dropping Song. It's called Diamonds. It's featuring DJ Horse. Yeehaw. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm i a real cowgirl. You know, these city girls, they be acting up. So we <laughs> had to bring the, bring the cowgirls. Yeah, you got to bring it correct. I got you. Girl, you know what I'm saying? Uh, nah, but I, I'm bougie too. So I, I actually really do enjoy the city girls. <laughs> Uh, so I have that coming up here and then for people who want to kind of keep up with all the things I do, cause again, there's, I have a lot going on from my, from my foundation and my activism and philanthropy to my music. And that's kind of been my primary focus is, is really 
uh, reaching that goal for myself and popping off like like the pop star that I am and, and blowing up the music scene and taking over, literally taking over, not taking part, taking over. So that's what I've been preparing myself for these last three years. So 620, that's what I would really, really hope that everybody can go support me by listening to my song and tagging me and, and sharing it. And you can find me on Instagram. It's more of the most active, uh, Dylan.Gonzalez. And then you can also find me on Twitter, Dylan Gonzalez. And basically all of my other channels, I constantly promote through those. So you'll find me on TikTok and Snapchat and all those other things if you guys get those locked in. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, we thank you so much. Make sure you go follow Dylan Gonzalez. This has a lot of great things coming up here. We appreciate you so much for coming on. This was fantastic insight. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Seriously. No, thank you so much for giving our, our lady listeners, our girl athletes, your perspective tonight on not only recruiting, but the, the whole gamut that you were able to give them education oh. on. So thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Until next time. I'm sure. We'll oh, for sure. All right. Well, David, um, that was one of the most informative interviews we've ever had. That was, I mean, you just gave her a little bit and she gave you every single thing to consider. Very well informed. Very, very just, man, just the information. I feel like if people were truly listening tonight, and I hope they are, I hope they're listening and taking the advice to heart here. Because we always, again, talk about, you know, just the athlete in the playing arena. But a person like this, like Dylan Gonzalez, who has transcended just the typical stereotype of an athlete and then taken the skills that she was given during her college. And I love that she really emphasized how important education was. And, and not you know, playing career, it didn't end. You know, it, what she did afterwards was phenomenal. And she's still doing incredible things. And it's just it's awesome stuff to keep up with to say well, here's a young woman at 26 years old she's got her first she's got her nonprofit. she's got her pop career coming off she's you know it, like she was saying it's not instant coffee right we hear our right. friend james kirkland say that all the time it's not instant coffee she's 26 and she's percolated she's got her degrees she's yeah. gonna you know she's got her career going she's got all her stuff it's a grind. It's a daily grind that she's welcoming and, and, and open to doing. And she's loving to do the work like you heard out of her mouth. I really hope not only the female athletes, but just athletes in general that are yep. young high schoolers, junior collegers, or even people in college re-listen to this a couple of times in there and, and play it through and take notes from what she said, because there's a lot that you said, there's a lot of education in there, a lot of information that you're hearing from firsthand knowledge. Like she went through it. You know, I can't tell you about that because I was a powerlifter in school. I didn't get recruited. I just did my thing, you know, and I, and I won national titles and everything, but I wasn't like, I didn't have that experience. She had that experience that we can bring to the table. And that's what I loved about this conversation. And when Dylan said she'd come on for us and, and be a, a guest, I was so excited because I knew how much she had to offer to our listeners so I really hope that they go and they really listen to her advice. Well, now nah, it's definitely a, a lot of help to young athletes out there. If you're listening, if you need additional help, Maverick Sports Consulting was created to help professionals in the sporting community to showcase their passion in a professional manner. Whether that is to help you when approaching an interview, create a social media marketing plan, or helping you prepare to take a Wonderlic test, we are here to help you maximize your opportunity. Please head over to MaverickSportsConsulting.com. Come find your Advantage package today. 
So, David, I wanted to hit on before we left today because I wanted to try to touch base again on the secret sauce. We might have to keep that to next week. Uncle Dave's story time might have to be next week as well. But we wanted to talk about a good friend of the show, Mr. Cameron Kinley, who came on with us once throughout his draft process. And then he came on with us day two of the 2021 NFL draft. You know, just kind of give us a preview. And so he was signed by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, played really well in their rookie camp as well. I know I sent you the clip of uh, him intercepting your good your good friend Kyle Trask in uh, the rookie mini camp. So that was the receiver's fault. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, that lame duck that he threw. But yeah, sure. Um, so, um, Cameron is a great young man. We enjoyed our, our conversation with him thoroughly from a lot of standpoints, and he had some remarkable stories. And I was so excited to see him doing well with the Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So a story comes across to me last night, and I said it to David Turner. I think I sent it up like 3 a.m. Eastern time because I think I was up with the baby at that point. So the rookie cornerback who signed with Tampa Bay Buccaneers as an undrafted free agent is now no longer with the team. So the kind of the story here is when you are a part of a military-based institution, of course, he's coming from the Naval Academy, you have a request because you ha- you're going to serve time after you graduate, right? You are going to, you know. Right, David Robinson team. had to put the same request in. Right, David Robinson, Roger Staubach, there's a bunch, um, Alejandro Villanueva now plays offensive tackle. Like he, there's a lot of guys that have gone through this process. And there's actually a lot of guys right now that are going through this process right now, which makes this a crazy story. So his request to chase his dream and then put his active duty on hold until after his post-playing career was denied. And uh, multiple uh, reports here. So coming from Captain Jarrell Dorsey wrote in a statement, when students accept admissions and continue their education in this program, there is an understanding and acknowledgement that they will, upon graduation, be commissioned. Captain Dorsey later said every midshipman attends on the same terms and each has the same responsibility to serve. Exceptions to that commitment to serve has been rightfully rare. So he's basically saying this is the decision. This is what you signed up for. This We're not going to make exceptions for the most part. Now, the co-founder of Divine Sports and Entertainment, which represents Cameron, came out and said, I believe this was Ryan Williams Jenkins who said this. He said, that Cameron wants to fulfill both of his childhood dreams playing in the NFL and honorably serving his country. Obviously, the window of opportunity to, to have that first part, <laughs> the dream of playing in the NFL, is now. Because if he serves, maybe he misses his window as an undrafted free agent. So the weird part, though, is, David, and so it's, this isn't a direct comparison because we're talking about some players who are coming from different military institutions. But we have Nolan Laufenberg out of Air Force, who signed with the Denver Broncos, and he is a full go. He is allowed to play NFL football. He's allowed to have his opportunity. George Silvanak, who is also an Air Force grab, signed with the Los Angeles Rams. He is good to go. And then Parker Ferguson, also Air Force grad, signed with the New York Jets all this season, 2021 NFL draft prospects. Well, and there's the other one from West Point, John uh, something. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I skipped over. John Radigan was the, was the last guy. So there were four others outside of me. You're right. He's from West Point. Signed with the Seattle Seahawks. He is also good to go. So I know that there's going to be some people that say this is just a difference of school. But this is just seems inconsistent to me. Because we're coming from a same military-based institution. 
They're, they passed the, the bill in 2019 that allowed these young men to take the opportunity right, directly after they graduate to chase their NFL dreams. And I know that that Cameron actually wrote a long, thorough kind of um, laying out his side of everything and what his beliefs were. And a little bit of what he said was, while I acknowledge that these men are from different branches of the armed services, which I kind of just highlighted, it puzzles me as to why I am the only person denied this opportunity. And then he also said, I am very aware of the commitment that I made to service when I first arrived at the United States Naval Academy. I look forward to my career as a naval officer in the information warfare community. However, I'm deserving of the opportunity to live out another one of my lifelong dreams before fulfilling my service requirements. So he's not allowed, he's not allowed to appeal this though, David, to my understanding that that kind of came out uh, from the captain as well is that they're not allowing him to appeal this decision. So unless something drastically changes, maybe from a way higher up here, Cameron Kinley's professional football career is put on hold. I know there's a lot of layers to this. We just talked about a lot of football players are going through a similar situation from different schools, but still, you know, very similar. It's not directly apples to apples, but it's pretty darn close. It's as close as you can get. It's as close as you can get without being the actual school. Right. And it's just a shame to say the least right now that a young man that we've gotten to know a little bit throughout the process and was doing well and was thriving is having his professional career on hold right now. Well, and it, you know what? I'm not trying to be over liberal here on this one, but yeah, there these are rare opportunities. You're talking about four, five kids, if you include Cam, um, mm-hmm. from military institutions that each had over 100 students playing on those teams. I've been there. I used to go to Air Force. It was one of my schools when I was a Bledsoe scout. Um, and, you know, they have well over 100 kids on these football teams. Sure. And you got, you know, five off of these teams that now get an opportunity to play in the NFL. And more than likely, as an undrafted free agent, they're going to get cut. The odds are 95% they're going to get cut come final cuts in September. But yeah. say that one of them does catch on a practice squad and sticks around. I mean, why can't their service be bump- bumped by 12 months and then they're – they're required to come be part of it if they're not gamefully employed with an NFL team at that point. Like I, I let off our conversation with David Robinson was allowed to literally go to the Naval Academy. They knew how big he was. They knew everything. And then they said, well, you know, he won't fit in an airplane and him in a submarine. He's too limited in his duties. So therefore I'm like, there's other people that served in the Navy that were as tall as David Robinson. You're just letting him go because he's David Robinson. And that's fine. But when you have these athletes like this that get the opportunity, this is what keeps them from getting drafted because NFL teams don't want to waste a draft pick, you know, on a player that yeah. they don't know will have the opportunity to come play for them. And it's re- uh, to me, it's backwards thinking. It's like allow these young men the opportunity to go try out. And if they're not gainfully employed by the new year, then you know what? We gave you your opportunity, kid. You're not going to try out for the next three years. And then come serve your duty. You know, you got, you know, whatever, six, 12 months. If you don't catch on, you got to come do your duty. What's postponing their active duty by six to 12 months for these young men? I mean, you're talking about a 21 year old kid, but he can't go serve at 22. Right. He can't go serve at 23. Like, what? 
And I'm very confused because I, I thought that whole bill that was passed in 2019, I'm not w- as well versed in this as I probably should be. So I don't want to speak to something and sound completely ignorant or, or incorrect in this t- talking point. But what was the point of passing that bill if now there's a loophole or a, a player that can't chase his dream? It just seems, like you said, backwards thinking. It seems very inconsistent. Like if this what? is. We what heard our first guest, Dylan, talk about no governing body for the NC2A, right, and right. what they do, and they break laws all the time to make sure they have control over the athletes. Well, here's the military now. Like you said, there's a bill on the table that said they can do it, and right. you and I aren't going to sit here and pick apart the bill. If one of our guests want to do it and come on later and we'll talk about it, that's fine, or one of our listeners, you know, that's cool. Um, but, again, the bill was passed. So these young men and women had avenues to do pursue their professional score. And again, the you know the guys you know the what is this the mid the Dorsey Captain Dorsey said yep. rightfully rare, dude. This is five people. This isn't like something right. we said. This isn't. We're not saying let half the freaking Navy out because it, you know they got a shot. We're talking five people, and out of five, he's the only one not being allowed to pursue his dream. And like you said, they're all, I mean, you're talking, I mean, again, it's Air Force, Army, and freaking Navy. Navy. I mean, what? Yeah. What thing I'm a little confused about, is there a difference? Because, like, I think, like, Joe Cardona, who was a long snapper, right, was drafted. I think he sold the New England Patriots. Um, so he didn't have a delay, and he was from Navy, right? And then Malcolm Perry, who was drafted by the Dolphins last year, the seventh round, I believe. He is on the active roster, or at least on the practice squad, and he did not have to serve. So is this just a difference of an undrafted free agent versus a draft pick? Like, why is that inconsistency coming from? I'll be honest with you, I don't understand it. Because when I used to go to Air Force, I I can tell the broad strokes of this story. I can't get into the specifics. But there was a player that I was elevating to a draft pick, and I, I talked to the teams, or I talked to the the administration, they said, no, if he gets drafted by a team, we can just station him by the team. And then they can, you know, he can uh, in the off season fulfill his duty and do some stuff like air force was willing to work with an NFL team that drafted him to do that. So I put that in my report. I was like, if you draft this player, you know, I've gotten a letter confirming that the air force will work with you, you know, and this is, and I laid it out for him in my report. Um, yep. That all being said, you know, obviously we see two on this list of the, you know, or th- I'm sorry, three on this list where you see air force is the, the branch of government working with the football players to get them where they want to go. And we're seeing Navy hold a hard line and West point allow it out. So you know, again, I, I, I'm not saying this is a hotbed of recruiting here, but if I if I got a pick of the litter right now, I'm looking at Air Force going, hey, I might go play up in Colorado at Air Force because they might let me live it out if I, you know, and, and still get a top-notch education and everything. Right, right. And I mean, all I can say to kind of end this a little bit is, Cam, if you're out there, if you want to come back on the show, we I would love to hear your perspective because I know we're reading – the statement that you put out and the, the Twitter post that you put out and all that good stuff. But I would love to hear your perspective because I, I really hate that a young man was doing well, <laughs> was thriving, was having a good, had a real good rookie mini camp is getting ready for the real thing. And 
opportunity to potentially make a football team and it gets snatched from him and it's not in his control. Like I always say, like I can deal with, you know, the repercussions of a mistake if it's my own. But if I am have something taken away from me that is out of my control, that's when I get upset. That's when I get angry. And this is kind of that same situation. So yeah, I don't want to get Cam in trouble with his superiors, but right. yes, the door is always open to Cam. Yes. It, you know, like we love him. We talked to him on draft day. You know, I was telling him to drive over to the Washington football team to <laughs> to knock on the door and get Rivera to draft him. I mean, he's a great kid. And you know, if he wants to come on and tell a story, he's got a he's got an open mic. You you just didn't want him to intercept Kyle Trask. That's why you didn't want him to oh, please. <laughs> Well, uh, I mean, the invitation's out there. Again, all, great note there, David. We don't want to get him in trouble in any way, but it, Cam, if the, the invitation's always on the table, man. You're a great young man. David, I know that we're a couple minutes over here, but I promised the listeners something, and I know we have a few that have stuck with us throughout this hour and seven minutes up until this point. So we're not going to go to the secret sauce. We'll save the defensive line for next week and part of the uh, part of the show that we have coming up with James Kirkland coming on next week. Um, so... Story time with Uncle Dave. It's, it's gonna it's gonna be a mainstay. It's gonna be a fixture. It's gonna be every week, even when we Uh-oh. have Oakland's corner. It's it's still gonna be Uncle Dave. All right. So, story time with Uncle Dave. Your story for tonight. You have to tell me your first interaction with Al Davis. First time you met him. Oh crap. <laughs> uh- well, the first interaction or the first time that I actually saw him? You can pick. You can pick. Okay, well, the first interaction is is rough, man. It was whew. <laughs> it was rough. Uh, we were in a scouting meeting, and he knew I was working there, and he knew who I was, obviously. No one was in the building without knowing, him knowing right? Mm-hmm. And he walked in. Who are you? <laughs> and as a young scout, you're just like, oh, my God, he doesn't know who the hell I am. So I got nervous right away, and I yep. started rattling off who I was. And, again, one of the rules I teach people in Mavericks now is don't have diarrhea of the mouth and just say a bunch of crap. Yep. Oh, I said a bunch of crap trying to <laughs> prove to him that I belong there. And I said a bunch of stuff that, I, that later came to bite me in the ass. So I was just, like, sitting there, and he goes, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, really? Mm. Did you hear that, John? Did you hear that, Bruce? Yeah. Okay. And it was just like, oh my god! Like I, I was killing myself without even knowing it. So I was trying to prove myself, which is a skill now I teach not to do because why? I stepped in that shit sandwich and I ate it the whole conversation with him. And then he told me to get out of the room. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, I got thrown out of the room, and I, I wasn't allowed back in there for that draft process because anytime he came in, he didn't want me in the room. <laughs> well, but the great thing that you got out of that was now you preach what uh, you teach, what you preach, right. Or preach what you teach. I don't know how the saying is. No, but. I don't. I totally, most of the stuff I teach is because I made the mistake or a friend of mine made the mistake and we learned from it. And so, you know, for me, like when I'm talking about like, don't like just shut up, like answer the question, like, who are you? The answer is I'm David Turner, sir. That's it. Don't go on a 20-minute rant of trying to prove yourself why you need to be there, you know, because all I did was give him the ammo that he needed. Now I stayed four more years after that. I mean, I moved up the ranks and everything. It was just his way of the old dog beating the new dog down and, you know, barking and kicking me out of the room. And, 
you know, I was all insecure about it. And then the following year when I was in the big draft room and everything, I was like, all right, I see what, I see what happened. I see what was going on here. That's really funny. And uh, I just learned something, you know, I feel like usually I'm the same way. I kind of like, who are you? Uh, Well, I'm Ryan Roberts. I am blah, 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 blah. But next time I would just say I'm Ryan Roberts, sir. Let them ask you the next question. Exactly. I love it, man. I love it. So, that is going to wind us down here on Mav Sports Take episode 43. Again, we're getting close to the 50th episode, which is the gold anniversary. So make sure that you guys like, share, retweet, do everything on any podcast platform. Apple Podcasts was specifically, if you want to go through a five-star review, we would really appreciate it. Go let David Turner get the final word in here. I just want to let everybody know that we appreciate all of you for sticking around. The live interactions are why we continue to do the show. We want to thank, of course, one institution for the great platform that they have provided for us. We want to thank the great guests that we continue to have on. Of course, Ms. Dylan Gonzalez, that joined us tonight. Some great insight to some young athletes, whether you are a female, a male, whether you are in your post-playing career, whether you still are in your playing career, whether you're trying to get into your playing career, whatever it is, a lot of great insight there. Of course, I also want to thank David Turner. As always, this is one of the best times of my week. Every single Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern time, I get to talk some ball. David Turner, the floor is for your for the floor is yours for the final word of the night. Thank you. I appreciate Dylan coming on and creating such a great uh, episode for us. You know, her insight is uh, is unparalleled and what she's been able to pull off in her young career so far and everything she's gone through has just been an amazing perspective that, I again, I hope everybody listens and re-listens to and catches her advice. It's free, guys and gals. Just take advantage of it. Um, it's right there in front of you. But I have to say um, a sad note today. You know, Jim Fossil passed away. And Jim was uh, the coach in 2003 when I was at the New York Football Giants. And he's a man that when I was in the UFL, he was, a, you know, uh, a coach down in Las Vegas. And I was yep. up in Hartford. And I, my, my career has paralleled his a lot with following him around. And his son, um, I called him Bones. Everybody knows him by Bones. It's John Fossil, uh, special teams coach in the oh, league. Oh, yeah, yeah, was with the, was with the Rams for a few years. Yep. John was up there in, in uh, Oakland with us. And um, it's where I got to know John and – knowing his dad and, you know, talking to him about his dad and everything back in the office and stuff was, was just an added special moments for me with uh, the fossil family. And there's been so many times where my path has just crossed with him. And today's a sad day to learn. He's passed away at a very young age of 71 years old. You know, my mother is 75 and um, you know, I, I really drew me back today and it made me pause. Uh, I had to sit down and take a breath when I read that news. Cause it's just too young for this world to be without Jim Fossil. And he's a he was a very good friend to me. Uh, he was a very good mentor to me. I could call him, text him. He'd always have advice and pick up the phone. So, um, yeah, I'm going to miss him. And I just want to say that as my final thought. Our, our prayers, our thoughts, our love is all with the Fossil family, his kids, his grandkids, um, everybody who loved him. You know, we're thinking of you tonight. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a great way to end it. R.I.P. Coach Fossil. Um, obviously a great coach for David Turner, great friend, great mentor, um, great person. Unfortunate passing today um, with his family. We wish you all the best. 
Want to shout out real quick again, missed some comments in the chat from earlier for Larry Lombard for joining us, Hollywood Titan for joining us. What is up, friends? We appreciate you all for stopping by. We'll be back same time, same place next week. Um, hopefully the Sixers have clinched by then. Sixers and six, by the way. Everyone have a great night. See you again next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Mav Sports Take. Connect with us on social media, share your thoughts on today's episode, and tell us what we should take on next time on Mav Sports Take. Want more from our hosts, David and Ryan? Visit maverick and learn how we can help you take the next step in your sports career. Until next time, this is Mav Sports Take. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.